I'm going to get to Luke 24, a traditional resurrection passage, but I want to start by reading a couple verses. This is out of Luke chapter 12, verses 6 and 7. It says, Aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten. In fact, even the hairs on your head are numbered. Don't be afraid. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Some years ago, Michael had hauled me to Malawi with him, and we were teaching at a pastor's conference. Unless you get the wrong idea, um, these, some of these pastors didn't even have Bibles. And so uh, it's not like we were bringing uh, things learned over years and years of wisdom. Uh, we were covering basics, and I was walking through the Sermon on the Mount, and I had a message out of Matthew that morning, and I had a young man come up to me at the break, and it was obvious that he was emaciated. He was probably in his early 20s. He's making the slow, deliberate movements of somebody that had spent tar starving time. Uh, they had just come through their starving season, and it was obvious that he was ill, and uh, he's, he had lost a family member, and he says, tell me that Jesus cares. And I'm feeling humiliated in some ways in that moment, but I said, Jesus cares, and shared that I truly believe that God loved him. And in that moment... I'm also realizing that at the break, they hand me a, a bottle of pop, and because I'm one of the special ones, and the rest of the pastors are uh, drinking uh, uh, like a Kool-Aid in a bottle or a, uh, just a, a fruit drink. And then at lunchtime, they will give me a separate table with the rest of the leaders and we will have the choicest of the foods, and everybody else will get a meal as well. And there's something that just rips your heart out in that moment where you're going, no, I'm just like everyone else. And truth is, I'm learning easily as much as what I'm giving out. But they have a culture of extreme honor and respect of others, and that was normal for them. And you can't just fight against it. You, you, you know, it's, it's like, how do you unravel something like that in, in a few moments? It's just not going to happen. But when I read a passage like this, it's easy for us to say, yeah, I, I, he cares. He cares about those that are in leadership. Or he cares about those who have certain positions. You know, truthfully, I've, I've lived a life of, of benefit, and most of my life has been lived in leadership. And, you know, when I, when I look at these things, I have had a life of privilege. It's true. But I want you to know that if God sees even the hairs of our head, there's an awareness and an investment in every single life. It's not just an individual thing that goes for the, for the elite. The disciples didn't get this right away. 
I mean, they had arguments about who was the greatest. And at one point, two of the guys that are in the inner circle have their mom come and say, uh, can I have a favor from you? And, you know, they're, Jesus, okay, well, what is it? Oh, nothing big. I, I just want my sons, when you come into your glory, I want uh, one to have the, the chair on the right side of you and the other on the left. You know, no big deal. Just, just position them right next to you. They're already in the inner group, but, you know, let's, let's, let's solidify this thing before you get into power. Now, the other disciples got a little upset over that. But these guys still hadn't resolved that at the Last Supper. So, you know, Jesus is getting ready to die. He's got a few hours left. He's trying to pack the last message into them. And they're going, ah, it's my position. You know, it's my place. And he makes this comment. He says, The king of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those in authority over them called benefactors, not so with you. Instead, the one who is the greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader like that, the one who serves. So even in that last meal together, he's laying it out and saying, that is not the way I want you living. That's not the way I perceive it. So let's, let's go to Luke. The women that I assume had been at the cross watching Jesus die decide to go prepare the body and bring spices that they had put together, which was their cultural custom to anoint the body and take care of it. And so they show up at the tomb and the stone has been rolled away. And they see these two guys in dazzling clothes and they realize these are angels. And the angels tell them, well, why are you looking for the alive among the dead? He's not here. And they're the first to discover that, that something has happened. And it says some of them, it, it lists, it, there was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and other women who were with them and they ran and told these things to the apostles. Now, if you look for these names in Scripture, you're not going to find a whole lot. In fact, about Mary Magdalene, it says he had cast seven demons out of her. One sentence. There are stories that sometimes we associate with her, but it does not say her name specifically. The only true statement about it is that he cast seven demons out of her. Now, I'd suggest to you that wasn't a life fully put together before he did that, right? In fact, it appears that it had been a messed up life. And then it, in Luke chapter 8, it says, uh, there were some women who had been healed of evil spirits and disabilities, and then he, he lists them. So, why do I put that out there? In Scripture, the vast majority of leaders are men. And husbands are encouraged to lead their families. 
And the question comes, why do they get to lead? With the understanding of why this privilege, right? So who's the first to understand that Jesus is risen to dead? Who gets that plum? Who gets the privilege of saying, I was the first to get it and understand it? As the women who really, we don't know much else about them except that they were there. Isn't this an example of, of uh, God seeing every individual and having the capability of bringing special privilege or honors to each individual, no matter position or place? I mean... I would have liked to have been first had I been in that setting. I'm sure that some of the disciples thought that should have been mine, right? If they were still thinking in that mindset, one on the right, one on the left. <laughs> I got it right, even. But, you know, that said... Mary, who'd had seven demons cast out of her. She didn't grow up in privilege. And yet, God chose to give her that blessing. Give her that blessing. I, I just, you know, I, I'm looking at this and I'm going, I like this passage. And I like the thought that he cares for each of us. I will guarantee that every single one of us has some idea that, yeah, I don't really deserve God's blessing. And yet God has stated very specifically, I see you and I care. You have a choice whether you're going to believe that or not. But in a setting like this, why did he choose these girls? They'd been faithful to him, and he decided, yeah. I'm going to bless them. Now, this story goes on, um, and it jumps to a, another scene, and there's uh, two men that are heading to Emmaus, seven miles away, and Jesus just shows up along the trail with them and starts talking to them. Now, again, later on, we learn that one of the guy's names is Cleopas, that's the only thing said about him. The other one isn't even named. And yet, they're among the first. You know, they're the next ones to hear the message. My guess is that if they're leaving town, this thing is already coming apart. You know, we followed him. It looked good. We thought he was going to be the Messiah that reigns and set everything in place. And now it's coming apart. He was a great prophet. You know, the story goes on as they're discussing things, and they're basically saying, we've given up hope. We, we, our dreams were set on this guy. He was a tremendous prophet. He did amazing signs. We thought he was the one. And then, it, then he was crucified. And so already they're, in a sense, 
They're making other plans. They're moving on. And, and Jesus doesn't say, shame, you left town. I had a blessing for you, but you just, you know, man, you were walking through discouragement. How can I bless you then? You're giving up hope. How could I possibly come talk to you? And yet he picks out these two guys, one whose name we never do to figure out. And he reveals to them, even from the Scripture, he starts laying it out that the Messiah must suffer and die and rise again. Takes them through Moses and the prophets. And so there's this dialogue going on, not with the eleven, but with the two that are wandering off. And as, you know, they, they stop and they say, stay with us, you know, which was common for that day. And, and they start sharing a meal and it says when he breaks bread, their eyes are opened. And they suddenly realize this is Jesus. And there's that revelation, that understanding of, yes, he truly has risen from the dead. But these are two no-names, so to speak. They, they recognize him when he breaks the bread. That's an intriguing passage. But it, it goes on later, and they say, weren't our hearts burning inside of us? When he told us these things? Just like when God's Spirit speaks into our hearts now and we know that we're hearing truth. It happens today. And who does it come to? It comes to the no-names. It comes to those that, we wouldn't, that haven't necessarily lived in privilege. Becomes available to all. Well, the two, they, they head back to Jerusalem. It's, it's nighttime, and they're going back seven miles so they can go find the disciples and say, it's true, it's true. And the disciples are saying, yeah, he showed up to Peter too, which I'm, I'm assuming was after these two. But there's no, you know, I can't prove that. But they're, they're in the room. Jesus shows up and says, peace, be still. And he's, he is uh, revealing himself in that moment. And he, and he says, um, you know, look at my hands, look at my side, touch me. You know, this is no ghost. He asks for, he's hungry, he says, uh, you know, they hand him a piece of fish. He eats it in front of them. Again, they're laying it out. This isn't just a dream that the group had, but this is reality. The same fish that they had been eating, he eats. And so it's just saying, there is something that took place here that we don't understand, but we know that he's living again. So he eats that food, 
And then he comes to this final passage or portion of this passage and he explains the, the purpose of this. He says, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the Scriptures. And again, I suggest to you that the Scripture is understood as the Spirit reveals it to us. You don't just sit down and read it like a regular book, but you ask, God, open this thing up and make it alive to me. That said, though, he says to them, Thus it stands written that the Christ would suffer and would rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be, would be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. So what's he say? He's saying all of this fulfillment of Scripture and what leads us to where? Repentance and forgiveness of sins. The purpose of the death and resurrection, the death for us, is that we might have the forgiveness of sins, that we would turn our lives toward Him, that we would be reconciled with God. So he is, he's making it clear this isn't just a magic trick. It's not just to say that I'm different than others, but he says there's a purpose to this. That we would recognize the power of the eternal life. That we would recognize that there is more than just this lifetime. That we would acknowledge that there is life after death. And that we have the privilege of being reconciled with God and to live at peace with Him. And to have an eternal hope that exceeds our, any expectations that we could have while here. He reveals the Scripture that we might understand forgiveness and repentance. And that this message is what we take and that we would become disciples of His. He goes on and makes one final statement in this passage. Look, I'm sending you what my Father promised. Stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. So, connected with this forgiveness and repentance, he says, I am sending the Holy Spirit to you. So he's saying, this can be a part of your life. This, this needs to be connected. I, I feel like when I'm reading passages like this and I see this thing of, um, they, their hearts are burning within them. I feel like that's what takes place when the Holy Spirit speaks into our lives. There's this, I know that I know that I know. There's this clarity about life that I don't have in any other setting. There's this wonder that says, God really does care. He really has invested himself for us. The Scripture is true. All of that is part of what I connect and associate with this work of the Holy Spirit. I believe it goes even beyond that, but for today, that's what I want to go after. Is that, you know, if, if coming back around, when we, when we are walking through life, 
and we're saying, does God care? There's a knowledge that we can even look to the examples and say, well, who did he reveal himself to first? Who, who got the plum? Who got the special thing? Who got that moment that everyone else would have liked to have said? That would have been for me. I mean, we had cinnamon rolls at the back earlier, right? How many ran for the biggest they could get in the best? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just natural, right, to kind of look and, and, and pick the one you want. It's so wired into us. But with that, it's like if I don't get it, it's, it's not going to happen. If I don't chase it, it won't be mine. And yet Jesus is making a declaration that was entirely different. And he says, I care deeply about everyone. What an awesome thing that is. And the fact that he would continue to, to speak to us through the Scripture and fulfill all of that, it's wondrous. I trust that you have found forgiveness and reconciliation with God. If not, you need to make peace with them. And I'd encourage you, get to someone you trust. Say, I need to take care of this. And then begin that walk and allow him to speak into your life on a daily basis and to guide your steps and to walk with a confidence that says, he sees everything about me. Everything. I... <laughs> I, as a kid, I always looked at this. Knows the hairs of my head. Uh, how? <laughs> you know? Once computers came along, it's just a matter of memory, right? I mean, we, we acknowledge that things that we didn't dream possible are done with just a big enough memory. I associate that with God now. A fabulous memory, but one that's used for the well-being of his creation. What an amazing thing. I'd like to pray for God's blessing upon you. May your blessing rest on these people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy what it is to trust in the resurrected Savior. As each one goes into the community, ask that you'll give them words of life to speak over others.